Good morning. And to those of you who are watching in Nickel Hall, good morning. And if you're listening online, we're so glad you could join us. Uh, this is our last message on the um, theme of flourish. And so if you have your Bibles, if you want to go to Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. And I'm going to read it to you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Every Sunday morning, we talk from the Bible. This morning, as we do that, we're also going to talk about the Bible and how we flourish in it. I'm just going to state my premise to you right at the, at the start this morning. God's word leads to flourishing. I believe it. So the words that you have in front of you, if you're holding a printed Bible, or the words that are on your electronic screen, if you have it on an electronic device like your phone, these are not ordinary words. They are words that proceed from the mouth of God. Jesus said as much, if you know the story of his uh, temptation before he began his ministry here on earth, he went to, was led by the Holy Spirit to go into the desert. He went 40 days without food, and then the tempter comes and tries to get him off his game. And so he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made into loaves of bread. And Jesus responds to him in a certain way. He says, it is written. He responds to him with scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, you know, our physical uh, substance isn't enough for us, but by every word, this is what we need, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus says that as he quotes a scripture out of Deuteronomy we need what is revealed. We need what is given to us by God and what has been recorded for our benefit. We need that to live by. And it's potent. It's powerful. And I hope we see that this morning. When we go to the beginning of God's word in Genesis, we see that right out, right out of the gate. It says there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the earth was out without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over this face of the deep of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The, the power of the spoken word of God created, and light came into existence. And as you read through the account of Genesis, it, it marks the verses or the, the, the demarcations by, and God said, and God said, and God said, and the heavens, the expanse of the heavens are there. And God said, and the, the, land, the, the waters and the land are separated from each other. And God said, and there's vegetation. And God said, and there's the sun, the moon, the stars. There's night and day. There's seasons. And God said, and there's birds, and there's creatures of the sea. And God says, and there's creatures for the land. And God says, he speaks, and he makes mankind in his own image. 
the powerful, creative word of God. That's the beginning of our history, birthed in the word of God, proceeding from the mouth of God, bringing us into life. That's our history. And a pivotal point of our history happens shortly thereafter, also around the word of God as it is rejected. You probably know the story in Genesis chapter two, in verse 15, we pick it up and it says there, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. As the story goes in Genesis chapter three, the the serpent comes. He's more crafty than any other beast of the field that God has made. And he says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? You see, the temptation was centered around God's word. God really say that? And as the encounter between the serpent and The first couple happens, you see that around the word of God, there's the temptation, but also through that, to believe that God's goodness is spoken through his word. And so Adam and Eve bite on the temptation, and in rejecting God's word through disobedience, they are rejected from God's good intention for them. They're rejected from the garden. And what's to follow, we still feel the the effects of today. We call it the fall of man. And frustration is introduced to so much of their world. Frustration for man as he works the soil. So his work is going to be frustrating. Frustration for the woman in childbirth. Frustration in their relationship with one another. And most of all, frustration in our relationship with God. Death. So we see right in the first book of the Bible, God's word brought life. And the rejection of God's word brought death. But what we read in Psalm chapter one this morning is that God's word brings us back to life again. God's word leads to flourishing. Blessed is the man. And if you thought the word flourishing was a bit of an unusual term, how much more is blessed outside of Christian circles? What in the world? The word blessed, I mean, just think of being in the best place possible state you can be in, your your happiness state. Like when you're all happy, that's what it is to be blessed, like blessed, fully happy. The the word is actually plural in in its noun, so it's like multiplied happiness. Blessed is that person, multiplied happiness. This is what the psalmist is promising us. And in verse three, he describes, he gives a, a word picture of what this blessedness would look like as he describes a tree. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. I have some plants in my backyard. I have a grapevine, I have an apple tree and I have never been accused of being a good gardener. I've been accused of being a murderer but not a good gardener and I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, I read up on how to, um, how to work with grapevines and what you should do with them and how in the off season, in the winter season, if you want to have a more fruitful crop, you need to prune them back, right? Didn't Jesus tell us that in, you know, in his words? Didn't he talk about that? Absolutely. And so I read and I study and, and I discover how it should be done. So there's the main branch of a vine and then off that you have all the other branches and you cut them back so there's two buds left on those little branches and 
did that for a few years, and yeah, it works. Um, lots of fruitfulness happening out of that. But this one year, um, I was accused of being a little more aggressive and cutting them back further. And when the season came for the, you know, the leaves to bud and it to be green and for there to be vines and fruit, nothing. Dad, you're a murderer. <laughs> so my apple tree... I didn't prune my apple tree this year, and I didn't water it either. (laughs) And you know the kind of summer we had. So as we get to the season of harvest, there's only a few like ugly apples, nothing compared to what I had last year. Those two trees, vine in my backyard is the exact opposite of what the psalmist is painting for someone who is flourishing in God's word. There he gives us a picture where it's fruitful in its season, and it seems like even in drought, even when its leaves should wither, it's uncanny. It stays green, why? Because of where it's planted. Because of where it's planted. It is fruitful and it is green. It's flourishing. Is that a picture of your life? Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits seats in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, when we think of the law of the Lord, you need to think more than just God's commands or the Ten Commandments, that it's just the do's and the don'ts that God has given to us. A lot of times they referred to the law as the first five books in the Old Testament in its entirety, including all the stories that are there. And when you move into New Testament times, they could refer to the law as the whole Old Testament. And for us, when we hear this word, the law, and we need to think of the teaching of God, we can incorporate the New Testament into how we're applying this to our lives. So in all that God has taught, a flourishing life is a life that's rooted in God's word. Those words from the mouth of God, those powerful, potent words lead to a life of flourishing And the psalmist says, in all that he does, this person planted in God's word, in all that he does, he prospers. What a picture. A few times in my life when I've been just sitting at home, this doesn't happen very often, sitting at home with nothing you know, special to do agenda, and sometimes you turn on the television, you don't have a a game or anything you want to watch, so you just watch, and you stumble onto a commercial and you realize, oh, this is an infomercial, you know? So originally, it starts to grab you a little bit and then, ah, this is gonna be stupid. You know it's gonna be stupid, but you watch a little bit more because they start promising you things and it's almost comical what they start promising you. And you but you watch a little bit more and then, yeah, and then they make it even better. You can have a six pack in two months if you buy this device or whatever it is. You can look the way you want. You can have the friends you want. You just need to buy what they're selling you, but... I, I've never bought. Now, maybe you're here and you have, and you're probably sorry that you did. But I've never bought. Why? Because I'm too skeptical. I'm Canadian. I'm not going to buy that. Not in your life. We will have to decide with our skepticism whether we will believe God's promises. Will we take his word for what it says? Because our minds will question, did God 
did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Is God really good when he says that? Is that still for today? Or was that just for then? Joe was a young man. I've changed his name, but he's a man that I knew. No one wanted to be like Joe. And yet Joe was a man who studied the word of God, prided himself in what he knew, memorized scripture, but Joe had no joy in his life, no evidence of happiness, no evidence of love. When you interacted with Joe, it seemed like it was more important for him to point out a scripture to you than that he ever really cared for you. What was most important for Joe was for Joe to be right. So is that kind of example of a person with the word of God and their relationship to it, does that diminish the power of scripture and its importance? Because we all know a Joe in our life. When I think of the most flourishing life in history, the most effective life in history, the most influential life in history, even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I think it'd be hard to come up with a different name than that person. The most flourishing person who ever lived, the most influential person who ever lived is Jesus Christ. We're here over 2,000 years later, meeting in his name, singing about his name, talking about him. Just think about how that could possibly be true. Jesus Christ, this flourishing man, we know from reading his story, was saturated in God's word. In his encounter in the desert that we referenced earlier, in that most defining moment in his life before his ministry begins, he's got to face this test and win at it. What's working in his life? Scripture. The word of God. The words that proceed from the mouth of God, which he knew, which he could quote, which he lived out. Temptation one comes, command these stones be turned into bread. It is written, temptation two, Satan realized this guy's gonna use scripture, so I'll use it too. So Satan misapplies a scripture and says, throw yourself down, and, and, and the father, he'll command his angels to take charge of you. It's written that way. But Jesus refutes him with scripture rightly applied, not misapplied. Temptation number three Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. The most flourishing human being who ever lived was saturated in the scriptures. Jesus breathed them, he lived by them, but he also chastised the Pharisees who, like Joe, loved to talk about the scripture, loved to quote it, loved to be prideful in their knowledge of it as they engaged in conversation, but they did not know God better through his word, and they didn't live it. The message of the Bible gives its wor- gives, and its words it gives is the word of God which we begin by and which we live by. We enter into a relationship with God through his word and we grow in our relationship with God by his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a testimony to that. Rosaria Butterfield, would, she was not a Christian. In fact, she was a gay lobbyist who was dead set against Christianity in her own words. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. This is recounting her past. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. 
Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God. But then it happened. She stumbled into a relationship with a Christian couple who, instead of uh, condemning her, were loving to her and engaged in conversation with her and would ask her questions and consider this. Have you thought about this? Invite her over for dinner. They, they, they were hospitable towards her. And it started something. She started to read the Bible. Here's what she said. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. She was at a dinner gathering which she was hosting with her partner and one of the friends uh, came over and said to her, this Bible reading you're doing is changing you. It's got to stop. But she says, I continued reading the Bible all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. Fighting the idea that these were the very words from the mouth of God. But the Bible got to be bigger inside of me than I. And Rosaria committed her life to Christ. Uh, A while back I had the opportunity to hear her give her testimony in person. And you can see she's a woman who's alive today. She's flourishing. Blessed is the man or woman. James 1 verse 18 says, of his own will, speaking of God, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God likens the fact that we are born again through his word to an act of creation. It's a miracle for us to come into a relationship with God and be created new creatures in Christ. He brought us forth by his truth, by his word. We start that way. We begin in the word by his spirit. And from there, we continue to grow by his spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is from the mouth of God. And it's profitable. It's good for us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, it says, may be competent. That word is also translated mature, complete. Everything God intends for you. Ready, equipped for every good work. A life of fruitfulness through the word of God. Working in us as we believe it and we live it out. See, we will have to decide, will we believe in God's word? We will have to make a choice. Will we trust in it? We will have to make a choice. Am I going to obey it? Is it true for me? Jesus also told the parable of the sower and the seed. And what's interesting about that parable, it's the same seed. What makes the difference in his parable is the type of soil that that seed is received by. And you probably know it, but only one soil receives that word. But when it does, it flourishes. It multiplies beyond, beyond what you would expect, 30, 60, 100 times. Why? Because they received that word, and they clung to it, and they hung on to it, and they lived it out. Psalm 1 describes what that flourishing life does and what that flourishing life does not do. And let's begin there. Proper reception is fully aware that a choice has to be made between different voices of influence in our life. What will you choose? Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who does not do these things, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not seat in the seat of the scoffers. When you do an Old Testament survey of the wicked, um, you see certain characteristics. 
which you may want to pick out, like they don't care for the poor, they, they take advantage of the poor and the disadvantaged. Um, they are people of duplicity. Their word doesn't stand for what it means. Um, they're always out to um, get the best of other people. There's mischief in their hearts. At worst, they're violent, deceitful, merciless, proud. But most importantly, the, the, what we need to think of wickedness is wickedness is moving away from God. Not moving towards him, moving away from God. Looking at his truth and saying, no, I'm going to believe this because it's what I want to believe. This weekend I was in Vancouver and just reading an example of it uh, in one of the local uh, papers there. They're talking about marriage. And in this series, we've talked about the importance of family, how God gave family to be a bedrock of a flourishing life and society. But in this article, it talked about how we need to do away with commitment to monogamous marriage. That it's hurting us and we need to just explore different ways of how we relate to one another, but not be committed to one another individual. The wicked move away from God's truth and God's teaching from God's word. Don't walk in that counsel. You could go through every topic we've talked about in this uh, theme of flourishing and look at a cultural message that is the exact opposite of what we talked about. What are you going to listen to? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands with the sinners. The, this is the place where you're, you're now standing with them. You're absorbing the lifestyle. It's, it's becoming your own. See, it's not that we're not supposed to be with people who aren't followers of Jesus. We absolutely do need to be in that place. But we should be the ones who are bringing the influence of God to that relationship, not the other way around, so that it's causing us to walk away from God. Don't sit. This is a place of comfort. It implies more than agreement. It's fellowship with even scorning God's truth, making light of God's truth. Think about what you're influenced by. What are you putting in front of your mind, your eyes, what you hear, what you see? Is it reinforcing God's truth or are you sitting with the, the scoffers? Dick Staub in his book, The Culturally Savvy Christian, said if we spend hours consuming popular culture each day and only a few minutes nurturing our spirit, how can we expect to avoid conforming to the thought patterns of our age? It's important to know that the psalm is very divisive in how he categorizes where we're at. There are two ways to live. One way is to follow God's truth. The other way is to reject that truth. And as we've heard, one leads to life. As you read on in the psalm, he talks about how that leads to not just temporal destruction, but eternal. Paul David Tripp, in his book, How People Change, he he has this diagram of two trees, and he says if your life has bad fruit in it, um, like maybe it displays anger, or you find yourself lying a lot, or you, you just... Um, you steal, you just, there's all, or you have lots of anxiety in your life. There's this fruit that's not good fruit. He says, what you need to do is you got to examine the roots. And the roots is, what do I believe? What, what am I embracing as truth? And he says, often when there's bad roots, it's because we're believing something that's contrary to God's truth. And because we're rooted in that, we can't expect to have good fruit in our lives. You got to deal with the root. What am I believing? What is influencing what I believe to be true and then living that out? 
And so as something is brought to our attention so often by the Holy Spirit, one at a time, we, we look at that in light of God's word and we say, no, that's a lie. I've been living this lie. And we take out, we pull out that root and we replace it with God's truth. And as we do that over time, we see this beautiful fruitfulness, this beautiful flourishing happen because we're planting ourselves by that stream of living water, which is God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't live over there. Live over here. But his delight, he says, is in the law of the Lord. Now face up when you hear that. Are you, are you delighting in God's word? Is it a delight to you when you think of, oh, I get to read God's Bible today. I can't wait to push all those other appointments aside. I get to talk to God and listen to his word. Is that you? Maybe not. Maybe not for a lot of us. That's, but here's where we can go. I used to have, as a kid, uh, in my mind, almost like a list of um, foods you like, foods you can tolerate, foods you hate. So I had a, one of the vegetables I hated on the bottom here was Brussels sprouts. I mean, what good are they? I called them baby cabbages. What, what good are they? They didn't taste good, didn't like them. Um, and then I was at a field one time and realized this is a Brussels sprout field and they had let it go to seed. And so the, the place stunk with all these Brussels sprouts. So that's in my mind, embedded in my senses. How can a guy ever like Brussels sprouts? How can a guy ever eat them? But then, you know, I've told you as I have times in my life where I'm thinking about how can I eat more healthy? You run across something that says Brussels sprouts are good for you. No, please no, Brussels sprouts are good for you. Yes, they are. There's all kinds of ingredients. There's these B vitamins, B1, B6. There's uh, phosphorus in them. Oh, there's a whole list of things. There's omega-3 fatty acids. Like Brussels sprouts are good for you. And so because I know they're good for you, I start eating Brussels sprouts. Yeah? Need them again. Hey, I, you know, maybe these aren't so bad. And you find things to put on them so they don't taste as bad. <laughs> And I had this aha moment this summer. We're with friends. They're, they're buying dinner. We're out at this fancy restaurant. We ordered Brussels sprouts for an appetizer. Like, no way. How far have I come? Psalm 34 says, taste and see. Taste and see. Give yourself the opportunity. Don't feel condemned right now. I just haven't been living that way. Don't feel condemned right now. Just move forward. What's the next step? Taste and see. And you'll find God's word is great. There's a reason why they have tasters in, these, in the stores that you go to. Taste and see. Oh, that, was, that wasn't so bad. Have some more. Engage in the scriptures. You'll quickly develop an appetite for more. The psalmist goes on to say, and in his law he meditates Meditation is not emptying the mind. You're, you're meditating by focusing on the word of God. In his law, he meditates. The Hebrew is, carries the idea of muttering aloud. So you have my permission. If, you, if I see you driving your car and you're muttering aloud, I'm just going to assume that you're putting into practice what we talked about today, and you are meditating. It also has the idea of recall or remembering, bringing to remembrance. And so there may be, uh, connected to that is the memorization of scripture. 
Paul Meyer, in his book, Renewing Your Mind in a Secular World, talks about how he prepared himself to be a Christian psychiatrist. He studied all different disciplines. Uh, he had an MS degree in, in human physiology, MD from medical school. He did a psychiatric residency, trained in different programs, took theological courses. And in his own words, during those years, I was equipped with many techniques and shortcuts for bringing human beings relief from anxieties, depression, phobias, fears, insecurities, and other kinds of emotional and physical pain. Among the tools I learned to use, by far, the one that has been most valuable in helping people attain spiritual well-being is scripture meditation. Blessed is the man. He delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates. Now I love what he says next. Day and night. So when the writer talks about uh, don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. I think those are the three main things you can do while you are awake. I mean, you, you can lie down, but you probably, you know, usually that's a sleeping position. So maybe that's what the psalmist is getting at. In all of your day, whether you're walking, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, don't be influenced by that. 24-7, day and night, let the word of God be that which influences your life. Let your intake be from the word of God 24-7. And I think there's a reason for that. You see, you can hear a message like today and, and be charged up for a little bit and go home and say, yeah, I, I need to start reading my Bible or I'm going to start memorizing and be charged up for a day and that charge starts to wear off by Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday if you're amazing. And we can read the Bible for a day or two and we go, okay, I don't know. Don't see more fruit in my life. Um, don't see a lot of change. Nothing, I didn't get any download from heaven or like, okay, that doesn't work. Would you eat vitamins that way? Would you go to the gym that way and expect with just a, one or two day engagement, your whole life's going to change? Absolutely not. And so it is with the word of God. When Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed, the, one, the soil that is fruitful, he talks about how they persevere in the word. We're talking about a long view. We're talking about how the word of God becomes prominent in your life, not just for one day, not just for two days, not just for a week, but you make it your habitual practice to make room for God and his word in your life through reading, through meditating, even, yes, memorization. I can't tell you how memorizing scripture has had such a profound impact on my own personal life. And most of my memorization was done in my early 20s. It just had more time. And I can't tell you how that has been such a blessing to me throughout my whole life to where I am now, just a little bit over 40, <laughs> 50, whatever. Just checking to see if you're listening. The power of God's word, its potency will be released over time in your life, bringing you to a place as you meditate on it, as you live in it, as you look to it, as you believe in it, as you live it out and obey it leading you to a place of amazing flourishing. So what's your next step? Only you can answer that for yourself. What do you need to say no to? What do you need to turn off? 
Is there a relationship you need to be more careful about and bring your influence to it rather than that influencing you? As I speak this morning, what is the Holy Spirit of God talking to you about? What is the next step? Let me just finish by saying this. Psalm 1 and 2 have no recognized author in them. Like most of the Psalms, it'll say a Psalm of David or Psalm of Korah, Psalm of Asaph. Psalm 1 and 2 have no recognized author. A lot of people think that these Psalms should go together. Psalm 1 begins with blessed is the man. Psalm 2 ends with blessed is the man. Psalm 1 talks about being blessed in the word. Psalm 2 talks about the king. And blessed are those who take refuge in him. So if you put the two together, a right relationship with God through his word and through his law will lead us to a place of a right relationship with the king of it all. So to know his word is to know the king of the word, its main subject. Many see the man in Psalm chapter one is ultimately the king of Psalm chapter two, who we know ultimately to be Jesus himself. And Jesus not only modeled being saturated in scripture. He has made through his life, death, and resurrection the flourishing that it speaks about to be possible in unimaginable ways in our own life as we come into a relationship with him and his victory and his fruitfulness becomes our own. Wow. Blessed is the person who puts their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who is called the word and puts their trust, puts their refuge in him. I'm gonna close this morning in a prayer and um, if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, we would just, oh, we so want to invite you into that and I'm gonna say a prayer that will give you an opportunity to start that relationship today And you can just repeat after me when I do. Um, If you're not at that point yet, but there's a lot of curiosity going on in your heart, I just encourage you, you can continue to join with us over the next few weeks. We're going to dive into one of the the Gospels in the New Testament of the Bible, the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at John's perspective of the Holy Spirit. But I'd encourage you to do like Rosaria did and just read read the Bible. And, And I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of John, and so that way we could track together and it just, there's so much good stuff there about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So there's many ways. And for those of us that are in a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray for us that his word would just become more and more alive in us, that we'd make room for it, and that all of us would grow in our fruitfulness because that's what God wants for each one of us. So let's begin. If you want to enter into that relationship with Jesus, you can just pray after me as I start here. And the rest of you, if you could also pray out loud along, that would be great. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Today, I want to put my faith and trust in him. I ask you to forgive me of my sins to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I thank you. Amen. And Lord, I want to pray for the rest of us. Um, God, that you would give us this gift of knowing you through your word. 
I want to thank you and praise you, Lord. Forgive us where we, we treat it with disrespect or just indifference. Lord, I pray that the power of your word and its potency, Lord, would come alive in our lives as we make increasing space and room for you by making room for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd be bringing new understanding, new revelation, new fruitfulness through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of you, God, our Father. And all God's people said, amen.